You're Smarter Than Us is a proud member of the Soccer and Sweet Tea Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out all of the coverage of Soccer in the Carolinas at Soccer, the letter N, SweetTea.com. You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. Tim here, and I've got with me Matt Mental. How you doing, Coach? I am good. I don't know that Coach is completely appropriate anymore, but it's probably a <laughs> moniker I'll be stuck with forever. I would imagine. Um, I, my, my Spanish isn't uh, good enough to call you Big Red, so uh, That's <laughs> we'll stick with Coach. But um, guys, back in, I think it was July, when Asheville City, had made, uh, Asheville City men made the playoffs, I went over to Chattanooga for the Greenville game and eventually the Chattanooga game. And Coach's son was on the bench for the men as they made their um, playoff run where they beat Greenville and then the next night lost to Chattanooga. And as I was coming to the stands, I saw Coach. And and I'd interviewed him last fall about the uh, UNCA Bulldogs and their upcoming season. And so I, I sat down with him for a second and started talking. And lo and behold, he had actually been listening to the podcast. And, and last season was definitely a podcast of throwing around opinions and bantering back and forth with League One having come into town and NISA kind of coming up off the ground and different things with USL Championship and the rebranding. And then, of course, these um, persistent rumors of MLS in Charlotte. So coach said he had been listening and had um, not necessarily agreed with everything we had said, definitely not with the prevalence of um, pro, uh, the opinion that pro rel would solve a lot of issues in America, um, American soccer and drive interest. And we sat there and just talked for a solid 30 minutes. And as I mean, just in the stands of Finley, it was probably one of the best conversations I'd had about soccer in this country from, um, again, if you're the smartest person in a room, go find a new room. This was my opportunity to be in a new room. So uh, recently with um, MLS coming to Charlotte officially and um, it being announced as the 30th team, um, coach reached out and said, time to follow up on that conversation. And here we are. How you been doing, coach? I'm doing good. I'm uh, recently found myself in the, I don't have to go to work every day. So I've done a lot of housework, but it's been good. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, obviously the holidays and all the kids were home and kind of managed those schedules. So kind of now is 2020 starts, but it's, uh, I think certainly an exciting time for soccer in the Carolina region. I think that, you know, there are a couple of things that, that you know, you have Asheville city with the men and their women team and, um, this is my shameless plug for our local club. And, you know, my son's not going to be with them this year, but he, you know, it was a great experience for him last year. And, and just the way that at Asheville City has really embraced um, moving the needle forward in terms of grassroots football. Um, obviously, you know, the women playing in the WPSL, and which is basically the second division here in this country un underneath the NWSL and under great leadership from ownership. And then with Stacey Enos and Megan Burke, Lydia Vandenberg, I mean, that you couldn't think of three people that have, you know, played the game at a high level that are such fantastic advocates for the women's game. And then you marry that with the ownership of Asheville city and you know, which they're now a part of that, that group. I mean, that's pretty awesome on the women's side. Um, and then you have the men jumping from uh, the MPSL to USL league two. And certainly I would imagine this will be part of it. There's certainly a wonderful wild, wild west quality to the NPSL. 
Um, but that freedom, which is very American and is awesome and is kind of, well, just do it how you want to do it. Sometimes that lack of structure where maybe like, well, this is going to promote growth. I think in some ways maybe holds it back and retards that growth. And I don't think that discipline and structure are a bad thing. And I think that the men's jump to USL League Two is going to be really, really cool. And I think that it will be um, an awesome thing as we kind of watch this summer with those teams. That being said, maybe the biggest announcement, and I've already bought seat licenses um, for the new Charlotte team. And I think that that's pretty awesome. Now, I think that it's there's a cautionary tale there. And then and there are certainly a lot of um, metropolitan areas and cities that probably feel a little bit hard done by, right? That they didn't get a spot. Well, how many places, one, have the infrastructure ready to do it, and then two, have an owner that's willing to write a big check. And then also three, having a metropolitan area and a city government says, well, I see your big check and we're going to write a big check too. Um, and so it'll be fascinating to see. And you know, we're now just starting to see as they sort of flesh out their front office and their technical hires. And the ones they've started with are pretty good. And it's interesting because I think you can tell that it, although it seems like this happened very fast, I think it's probably becoming very apparent that, like you said, find another, some people way smarter than you and I have been thinking about Charlotte in the MLS for a long time. Oh, I, I think Tepper's first hire was Tom Glick. It, I mean, he bought the Panthers and his first hire was a, a, a soccer hire. It, yeah. it, like he knew exactly where he was yeah. going with this. And I think that it could be pretty cool. I would hope. My fervent hope is that they get into the NWSL game as well. That would be awesome and to create a kind of a Carolina rivalry. And obviously the Courage are fantastic and having had the good fortune to be at the Men's College Cup um, out at their stadium and just to see the trophies on the wall. And, and, you know, their team is great and they won the championship this year. And Mm -hmm. no no disrespect to the rest of the NWSL, but it was NC. FC Courage and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and that was pretty cool, though. I mean, that was awesome to, to see that. So, but yeah, I, I'm excited about this. And I, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, as we kind of sort of dove, dove in this about what promotion relegation is and how that affects it. And I think that, I mean, maybe my question would be, and it, it, as we talk about why promotion relegation in the United States? So that's maybe my question to you, Tim, is why? Why Why is this a good idea? I, I think it has less to do with, with just pro-rel and kind of everything that would come along with it. With pro-rel comes a lack of territory rights. With a lack of territory rights comes community clubs. You know, I, it's so funny. One of my... Um, New Year kind of things that I've, I've really been trying to do is educate myself more and try to state my opinion less. So here you are asking for my opinion. <laughs> but um, I've, I've really been reading up about how pretty much before World War II, a lot of communities had sporting clubs, whether it be baseball, soccer was a massive sport before World War II. Um, and eventually after World War II, um, colleges kind of took the place of these community-based teams that would travel by train to other communities, bigger right. cities, you know, regionalized. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't even California baseball yet. That, that was still around the corner. And eventually as the country, not physically became smaller, but travel became quicker, um, 
communities lost their clubs and they moved into the metropolises and the metropolises started competing against each other instead of interregional kind of um, how you would have to do it in this country per se. And so uh, what I when, when I say pro-rel, much of what I think about is an open pyramid where an emphasis can be placed on regional play. And then regional play eventually would work its way up into kind of a east-west USL, the way the USL championship is basically split, and then eventually kind of a national tier one. It's almost how they do it in England, even though England's the size of Alabama, basically. But, you know, still some space in between those clubs, but the emphasis would be put back on the communities, you know, local parks, using stadiums that are just dormant at the current moment, um, you know, challenging communities to compete with other neighboring communities. So it really does come back to communities, neighbors, and then eventually kind of that pride trickling up and theoretically having that odd run where a community-based club could move up a region and you know, this is where it would be on the Fed to kind of incentivize that sort of structure. So um, just off mic, you were talking about kind of TV deals and how that costs. Well, I mean, none, none of this is going to ever be possible unless the Fed itself can start shopping deals around and stop taking pennies on the dollar and force those numbers to go up so that as you move up, you're given a check along with that for competing that year, whether it be from sponsors, TV, string rights, start thinking outside the box. And that's how you could give everybody a pay bump. That's how you're going to pay for travel. Are you going to make a million bucks? No, probably not. If you're a smart Ford Madison and you've got, you know, the best marketing team in U.S. soccer, you're probably going to be able to do something special with that. But is Asheville City ever going to make it to the top tier MLS? Probably not. But it would be really cool to see kind of that championship run potential. Oh, for sure, and I think there's, I think that that that's romantic, isn't it? It is. It, it is. It's, it's awesome. Very. And that would be great. Now, I think a couple of things that you can probably look at is one, you have a structure in place where you might be able to do that. And, and the hard thing about our country is, like you mentioned, it England's the size of Alabama, so the reality is is a huge part of it. And and you'll see this. You can go on. USL's website and you can look at all the things and one of the big problems especially not so much in the championship where those are some you know interesting teams with some big budgets but in league one the tr there's 10 teams and the travel is massive yeah. and that's that's a huge part of it and that that's part of you know and that's even been a point of contention in the MLS is because you had teams like the LA Galaxy who because of the media market they're in um, they can you know the Galaxy is probably the most profitable club and right now even before this massive new signing that they just did I think the average the selling price for them is is probably at least 500, 600 million right just because of what comes with it mm -hmm. well now you got Chicharito into the mix and oh golly yeah. now they can they can afford to take a charter if they wanted to. The Columbus crew cannot. Yeah. Um, and certainly there are some owners with some massively deep pockets. And so the travel's a huge part of it. You know, when we talk about the TV part is and we talk about if you get relegated from the Premier League, 48 million pounds, 
right off the bat. And then if you don't come right back up, you get another 28 million pounds. Well, that's close to 75 million pounds, which is roughly in America, like 140 some million dollars, right? The problem is, is that because they're, that because that carrot of the Premier League is so great, you have these teams, Newcastle, when they went down, took the first payment of 45 million. Uh, and spent $49 million on wages. Mm-hmm. So they basically said, okay, we're going to take the balloon payment. We're still going to operate at a loss, but we're going right back up, which they did. And, you know, and that, so that huge gamble, though, because if you don't make it, that's going to be tough. I think that when you look at it here in this country, a couple of things. One, would it be awesome? And then where do you cut the line off? So, so for argument's sake, let's put it at League Two. And let's just, for grins and giggles, say that League Two isn't college kids a lot. It is, say it's everyone that could then become a professional, but it has some college kids. So mm-hmm. if the team wins, they're going up to League One. Okay, so Asheville City. And we'll use, our, we'll use our favorite hometown blues as an example. So Coach Mick gets it all sorted. They win League Two, go to League One, who are all professional clubs. So you go from a structure where you're not paying any of your players to where now you're going to have to pay... 25 to 28, somewhere between 1500 and three grand a month. And that's if you're at the low end, maybe more. And then you've got to pay the, the subsequent marketing staff and all the things. And so you're probably looking at about a million and a half. That's a, and that's actually a perfect number because that's the suggested. There was a graphic that went around a couple of years ago of suggested, and this is straight from USL, it wasn't right. supposed to get out, suggested operating budget. And that's exactly what it was. Right. So it's a million five. Yep. Right. So we go a million five and the blues are well supported. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm missing something, I think that I think the ownership would be like, wow, that's a big bill. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then say Mick gets it right again and the hometown boys, are the, the, and then they have to go to the championship. Now you're probably talking about about a three and a half to four million dollar bid. Mm-hmm. Say they get that right again, <laughs> and then come to the MLS, where the salary before you even get into DP, you're talking about ten. You're talking about twenty five million dollars. It's about what it's going to cost you to run that team. Oh boy! So we've gone in the span of four years to a budget that is obviously manageable because the, the blues are doing it um, to this massive amount. Wow. So you're that. And when you talk about outlays, I think you're talking about 65, $70 million. Here's the rub. The TV money just for the MLS alone is only $90 million. Yeah. So for a single club, you're talking about an outlay of almost the same amount of the TV bit. Now, why is that? Partly because of the level of the league. Now, the interesting thing enough, in terms of TV deals, where do you think the MLS ranks in the world? Seventh. Tied for eighth with yeah. Portugal. Yeah. Portugal, small. Yeah. You know, so and that's part of the and part of the problem also, too, is these other countries do not have the natural competition that we have, which are wonderful products. The mm-hmm. NHL, mm-hmm. the NBA that juggernaut that is the NFL. And then we haven't even gotten into maybe college football and we haven't even gotten into the real one that's really college basketball. And then not to mention all the other, the local parts. And so the hard part for me when we talk about promotion relegation, I think in theory, in a world where travel was constant, if you had a state run travel, 
Um, I, I just don't know how you would manage it. And that's the, when I, and when I say, I don't know how you would manage it. I think that that's the hard part. We talk about this. It'll fix the things. What does promotion relegation really solve? You know, and, and when you look at it, you look at, so say Asheville city gets promoted. The reality is the majority of those players that got them promoted won't be making the journey with them to the next league. And you see that every time teams come up yeah. from the championship. Now, will you, will there be some fan favorites that get to stay? For sure. They, you know, will the Cameron Sauls and Emas and Jamie Smiths and some of those guys get to stay? Yeah, but at some level, it's like they've done great for the club. But if they were of that standard, if they were of a Premier League standard, they wouldn't be playing in the championship. You know, and, and again, that's the hard part. So then you get into the, how am I going to pay? I've got to go get a whole new group, group of players. And then I've got to go. And then also, too, once you get a coach promoted, and you see this, too, and the, the championship teams that come up, they get up halfway through the season. What happens? Coaching change. Yep. And then it's one of five or six names, and it's the same guys all the time. Sam Allardyce, David Moyes, <laughs> Stevie Bruce. All, but... And again, the reason why is because they are tried and true. They have a system. They can keep a club up. And these are guys, I think, and their management teams that come with them that would argue that they're not trying to go be Jurgen Klopp or Pep yeah. or Ole or Frank Lampard. They're like, that's not us. We, I know exactly what I am. I'm probably going to work for... 12, 13 months at a time. I'm going to take six months off and I'm going to work for another 12 to 13 months at a time and I'm going to keep these clubs up because the money is such an important part. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of those things. So when we talk about promotion relegation, I, and I love the fact we're, we're regionalizing it, but how, again, we have two teams in Greenville and it'll be fascinating to see who Asheville City's new rival is going to be, right? Because the Triumph, are in League One, um, and I don't know what happened to the MPSL FC Greenville. Are they in? Did they join the new NISA? Or no, there's they're gone. There's no news. No so news. They're they're not on promotional materials this season, which is never good. This time <laughs> year. So the battle for the keg may have at least it stays with Asheville. It's dormant, yes. yes, it stays with Asheville. So the, um, the, I would like to think though that it's either going to be the Charlotte Eagles. Um, and that could potentially just be a um, battle of philosophies on and off the pitch. Right. Um, and I would not be shocked if um, the Bantams down in Columbia become kind of a natural rival uh, just right. with skill level. And then Tormenta's down there, obviously, um, just kind of the the rooster of the the division of that deep south. Right. And that's and it's it's interesting because with all these great um, and again, I would never question the USL's logic, but last, we've got so many teams in North Carolina and we're not playing any of them. We're not even playing Tri-Cities. They're not even our league. Why does that? I don't understand that. I, I think there'll, there'll be a friendly this year potentially with them. I would not be shocked. Um, the one thing I do know about League 2, and I don't know a whole lot, is that they change. Um, they, they shuffle the deck with divisions and leagues very, very often. Right. Um, those two Virginia Beach clubs, Virginia Beach United and Lionsbridge, are just out there like a sore thumb right now with no natural right. know, uh, conferences or divisions to play. And then this West Virginia club just came in. So 
between those three, there's not a natural place to put them. It just makes all the sense in the world with the Raleigh, Dynamo, Charlotte teams eventually to kind of just cram. You know, minor league baseball can do it. Like, it, it would just makes a lot of sense to kind of group them together eventually in a league. I mean, it would be an 18 league at this point. So. All right. So we talk about promotion relegation. There's obviously a myriad of things. And we'll, we'll get back to this. I, I would argue that the magical Cinderella run, we already have something in this country that can solve this. And that's the U.S. Open Cup. Yes. Which is criminally underrated and kind of underserved at the same time. For sure. What would be the number one thing that you would do to make the U.S. Open Cup viable? A combination of making the higher-seeded teams play at the lower seed. Right. um, And kind of shifting the dates. They just moved the first round earlier, which basically eliminated all of the amateur clubs. You know, there was this awful run of um, both NPSL and um, USL League 2 teams having to turn down their open league bids right because they just they can't field teams at that point in time um it sounds very much like they just want to kind of cram it into a professional league one championship mls cup and have that be the actual cup right well you've got a couple things and and again we don't want to be complete angliophiles but if you look at the fa cup that is open to every round and those things start way early yeah and right off the bat and clubs eliminated and then eventually they bring in you know the championship and the Premier League mm-hmm. teams um, now I think that one of the things that the FA Cup has is certainly a prestigious uh, piece of, saw- of hardware and that's really cool um, in America I don't know that now what you could do is you could monetize it the way you monetize it is a way is you then you would go and get a sponsor and put real prize money behind it that would be really cool, and that would bring it a lot of attention. And and make sure that each level, each right now, there's like you get, right because you right can, now you're more or less like the Florida Soccer Soldiers, which is the most ridiculous name for an amateur club I've ever heard of. But they made that amazing run last year mm-hmm. where they went through three rounds that they had absolutely no business going through. And they, they were doing a GoFundMe just to get to that third round, even right. though they're being paid back and reimbursed their travel from the right. Fed and all of that. But it's still at this point you're talking about. And, and I mean, in the League Cup, FA Cup, you've got this too, where you've got guys with nine to fives that are, you know, having to take off work and right. use PTO. And, and I get that. And that's kind of the romantic kind of story behind right. this. But if. I think what it kind of all comes back to is that, again, at that top, you've got and, – and we mentioned this in Chattanooga, but you're going all the way back to like 1995, 1996, where you've got these football owners who, who are kind of plopping down $10 million, Robert Kraft, for an MLS team and sitting on it. And he just views that investment, in, in my opinion, because you see him still playing at Gillette, yeah. as taking 60 cents on the dollar. And, and they're yeah. not risking anything else because they're guaranteed that 60 cent on the dollar. Yeah, I think that that's it's probably a little generalistic and especially and Robert Kraft, I would probably have argued that point in agreement with you up until about a year ago. And then when he signed Bruce Arena and then they brought in a twos and they built a new training facility 
I think that he became quite serious about it. Now, will they eventually move out of Gillette? Uh, maybe. You know, we'll see. I think that the hard part about Boston is much like Asheville, like where would you build a stadium? And, you know, and, you know Memorial's like perfect, you know. And so the, you could, you know, I, you're not complaining Fenway. It's not big enough, right? Yeah. Um, and we've already seen within, you know, New York City FC, you know, playing in Yankee Stadium and then having to play a playoff game in City Field at the Mets <laughs> because the Yankees were in the World Series. That's not awesome. Um, but I, I, I think that's right. I think the hard part about that. So back to the U.S. Open Cup, if you monetize it, that's great. Now, the real, now the flip side of monetizing, I'm talking about real sponsorship where you get someone to come in and you plop down, let's call it a big number. Let's call it $3 million um, for the winner. Mm-hmm. The rub is that the LS teams will now take that very, very seriously, just like with anyone else. And, and you always wonder, and we, every coach will show, you know, their team, the, the sub that's going on in the 88th minute with like he's, he, or she, regardless of the level, like, I'm so excited to be going. Like, you're going on for two minutes. Why are you so happy? Well, people forget that these are professional athletes and there are appearance bonuses and there are appearances and win bonuses. So the player that he or she's going on in the 88th minute and there's an appearance part that her paycheck, his paycheck's about to go up. And then if they hold the three points that they're currently sitting on, that's why they approach it. So, well, if now if you're talking about full level pros, with three million dollars on the line, that's great. Now the hard part is, is that when and I think it's awesome when you see these open cup games and it used to happen in LA all the time. Some, you know, USL team will go and play the Galaxy and they'd play down at Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Why are they doing that? Because honestly, they're like, okay, we're gonna only get so this many fans. Why am I opening up the cathedral for yeah. that? just because to turn on the lights of the cathedral is expensive. It's like why the uh, Atlanta United plays at Kennesaw. Right, because to to turn it on, now, if it's an open cup game versus the Galaxy, then for sure they're turning on the lights in Mercedes-Benz. And that makes sense, and and I'm okay with that, you know. But just like with everything else, and maybe you set it up where they play a game, and if you draw, and that's the the goal of every team in the FA Cup, they're like, these lower league teams are like, can we please draw? A permanent team, <laughs> and then can we hold on and get a draw and get a replay yeah. and get to go to the cathedral and get to share in the revenues? Yeah. Granted, we know we're probably getting a whooping when we go over there and get onto a proper pitch and all the things. Fair enough, because it's yeah the money income generated. Yeah, right? because that can legitimately pay for your entire roster payment for the year. Oh, it can for pay sure. For your operations, like the one replay. Yeah, for, for sure. Now, the other part on this, too, is I would say, you know, in terms of drawing interest and in how you can, you know, and I don't want to say the U.S. soccer is a mess, but <laughs> they've had some challenges, especially, <laughs> you know. But I think that one of the things that would happen is how do you, um, I think probably solidarity payments are probably a better way to solve this. Therein lies the rub. And, you know, this is America, regardless of whether you're blue or red or whatever, people don't like big government. You're asking the Fed now to, to, you know, the Federation to pay a massive role and very much become big brother. And and again, I think it's well documented that, um, you know, youth soccer can be fantastic. Youth soccer also can become quite a business with little to no interest on anything other than making people money. 
Yeah. Um, I think we're very fortunate in um, Asheville that that's not the case. And you got two clubs in town, um, HFC and, and Shield. And I, you know, having been a parent and that's paid dues, uh, no one's in this to make money in Asheville. And that's really cool, right? They're in for the development of the player. But wouldn't it be awesome if you did have solidarity payments? And then, you know, when kids are going to higher level clubs, that there is like a, hey, you know what? You helped out on this. The rub is, how are you going to police that? And of course, now we're going to assume we live in a utopia where big club X takes a player from little club Y, gives them money, and then that money goes right back into development. As you and I both know, that's probably not going to happen. So you're going to have to have someone to look after that, right? And that's really challenging. And, you know, you've seen some really high-profile um Lawsuits. I mean, DeAndre Yedlin, Yedlin's one is interesting, right? Where you have Crossfire basically filed suit and said, I hear you, but we developed him before he went to Akron and then before he ended up at the Sounders, before he ended up at Newcastle. All well and good. We deserve a piece of that pie. So if, if that were to change in this country, who's the at what level has to make the first concession? Is it... High schools, DAs, colleges? I think probably, you know, probably across the board, I think that you would, the hard part is that as it pertains to youth soccer, you have U.S. soccer and U.S. youth soccer are at odds, right? So you have the DA for the girls and the boys. Mm -hmm. And then U.S. soccer or U.S. youth soccer countered with the ECNL. And then, of course, you've got then you've got U.S. club soccer over here doing their little bit. All of this is guys under development. Our models better. Our models better. Our models better. And this isn't to be the cynic, but really, what it comes down to is um, money, right? And because if you're doing solidarity payments when kids go to MLS academies, if the non, if the if the teams that develop those kids. And at what level do you do that? You know, it's a, is it because, you know, this club sent a kid to an MLS academy? Okay, great. That club should be remunerated. Well, that kid only played in that club for three years. He played back in this other club. So does it, where does it stop with the trickle down? And then where does, is it to the coach? No. Is it to the coach's salary? But then also too, in club soccer, you know, club soccer coaches and club kids. I mean, it doesn't happen in Nashville, but you've heard all the stories plays for this club coach doesn't play me so i'm gonna jump ship Mm -hmm. now the thing you were talking earlier about the regional side of things then you wouldn't do that you play for your regional team and then you go to a bigger one and there's a real cast system Mm -hmm. i play for my local village then i play for the area and then i play for a region and then maybe then a bigger club comes in for me and then it goes up and on and all the things um and then you have to get into the schooling part and that i so for me i think that these are all really fascinating things but i the hard part for me is at what point do you set the rules? And we talked a little bit with the NPSL, where it was kind of wild, wild west. Everybody <laughs> did whatever they wanted. I miss it already. Right. You, you do. But, yeah. and you and I talked about this. And, yeah. I, and I told you, sitting in Chattanooga, <laughs> I said, the NPSL will not last. I said, the Founders Cup that they've decided to do will be the death of this league. Yeah. I hate being right. <laughs> but it even lasts a year. It, well, the Founders Cup didn't even happen. It no, ended up it, being the Members Cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, 
Yeah. And, and again, you know, we talk about you know, and everybody and I watched the Twitter feed and I thought it was and everybody's all oh, the big bad wolf in the MLS is coming. And I'm like, OK, I hear you. And especially in Asheville, this really resonates for us. Right. Yeah. And, and you and I use this. We all know how everybody felt when Wicked Weed got bought. Yes. This is a great metaphor. Okay. Yeah. We Everybody was all up in arms. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. The guys that started Wicked Weed did it for fun, made great beer, mm-hmm. did all the stuff. They got into business. They accomplished exactly what they were looking for. That that Their business became, and somebody's like, wow, you do a really good job. I'm going to give you a lot more money than you put into it. Maybe a lot more money than you're ever going to make because I want to buy it. Yes, here. That's why we get into land speculation, right? And that started back when we started this country. You got a piece of land. You bought it for a low price. You hope someone else will really like that piece of land and buy it for more. So I, my question is, you remember how everybody was up in arms about when Wicked Weed. Mm-hmm. And now let's look at the public's perception of now that New Belgium. We're talking about completely different things. Same thing happened. The same thing happened. One was okay and one was not. I I don't I personally don't think either was right. I literally have not drank a Wicked Weed beer since that sale. Oh, right. Um and part of my issue with Wicked Weed was more that they positioned themselves within Asheville as a leader in the independent beer scene and kind of played off those um good vibes and the the you know hey get come follow us we're going to lead you through this battle and then the first time that a check came they said oh good luck well it's and, the same thing in the counterculture market. right how many i mean listen how many oh, hi- hippies to yuppies. yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> no and it's like you use oh we're going to be counterculture okay great and in, how many people do you know that started the counterculture and then are committed to living off the grid mm-hmm. and providing for their family that way not many, because at the end of the day, at some point, it's like, okay, am I really sacrificing my beliefs or am I sacrificing um, some manufactured beliefs that were part of a counterculture because it was cool? You know, everybody, you went to high school. I went to high school. At what age did you go through your goth? What phase did you start listening to The Cure? At what point was that? <laughs> After I graduated, but before my freshman year. And are you still listening to the the musings of Robert Smith? Um, Not as much as I used to, for sure. (laughs) Businesses don't go through um, adolescence, though, per se. Oh, I would... I would argue that the MLS did the same thing. The, ML, the MLS is firmly on uh, version 3.0. So, yes, it, they, they have. But also, too, what they've done. And this is one of the things, too, where when the league started, it was all aging pros. Yes. Right. And the, the big name guys that has continued to come down. It has. It, the, and, the idea of it as a retirement league is is. And I would say the last the last player to come here as a retirement league, and two of them actually, and were quickly found out were Frank Lampard, yes, and Steven Gerrard, yes, and they came and and Steven Gerrard had the good sense about like, my legs are gone, so it's time for me to go. Yeah. Zlatan went. Now Zlatan left the league because he was like, okay, I'm not sure what else I can accomplish. Like, no, he also had some uh, ripe opinions about the league too. And I think that's okay. Yes. But they would, if they had, if he'd wanted to stay, they would have paid him. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. But then he goes to AC Milan. And so there's a player. And now with Chicharito coming, 
He's a player that's well within his prime, will be with Mexico in the World mm-hmm. Cup, will probably be a first choice guy. The inner, you know, the rivalry alone with, with LAFC and the Galaxy now with Carlos Vela versus Chicharito, I mean, mm-hmm. it's must see TV. You, I, I guarantee you, yeah. you will be watching that game. Potentially now. Last year I did not, but yeah, it's now, now it's like this is fantastic. Oh, it was yes. awesome. You know, and it's you know, it's a lot of times like the best anti-hero after. You know, but then like you have the selling of Almiron from Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? And then you you start to see these um, players go on. Now, I think one of the things the league's going to get themselves in trouble with is, and I understand completely why they did the LLC is now how do you do player movement? Yes, and that's going to be a real rub, and that's going to be. Um, you know, with the rise of, you know, and maybe the player, and we haven't gotten to the women's side of this whole thing, because I would argue that the fourth best league in the world is NCAA Division One women's soccer. Okay. I, if you, if you took the best, the best league in the world for me is still probably, um, I would say the NWSL. I would say it's the best. I think that what they're doing in England, it probably comes in too. And then I would kind of bulk in what the rest of UEFA is doing. You know, you've got Paris Saint-Germain, you got Lyon, you got Marseille, teams, you know, that are putting real money into mm-hmm. it. Um, not dissimilar to what they're doing in women's basketball in Russia, right? They're putting yeah. real money into yeah. it. So that's great. And then you have the NCAA Division One, and I, I would hope that the WPSL is great because if, if teams were approach it the way Asheville City did, fantastic. The rub is going to be is that you've got this great fan base, you've got this great ownership group, if it does become professional, then where are they going to go to from here? And the hard part is, is that, you know, how many teams are in the NWSL right now? Nine. There's nine teams in the, right? How many teams, you know, and Asheville is the attendance leader in the WPSL, yes? Uh, us in Tulsa right. kicked it back and forth last right. year. So, yeah. and then, and if you look at, in our area, you know, it, where are those players going to go? Because there's only nine teams. Yeah. And they're still bringing in the Martas and the every, yes. like, they're still bringing in the world's best. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a problem. I, the uh, Division II women's league in this right. country is probably the most understated, undervalued like IP that could potentially exist think, yeah. in sports right now. If somebody could figure it out. Right now, the professional league standards are, are borderline ridiculous though considering they're just about as stringent as um the men so there's an owner's worth there's a population right you know kind of clause that's connected to that and and all i mean for division two women's i think that's just absolutely ridiculous because you're gonna have to i don't think you can manufacture that at the D2 level. I think you could find organic wellsprings of it throughout the country and, and build it that way. It would be very much like AAA baseball as opposed to the USL championship model right. of trying to find metropolises that, or, or maybe mini metropolises that just don't have a, a pro sports team around it. The Charlestons, the, um, you know, those kind of in between Atlanta and, and Miami and Jacksonville and, and that. Right. Well, and also, too, like when you go back into and everyone that rages against the, the structure of the league, the MLS, this is the NASL's fault. <laughs> okay. No, it, not, not the new version, 
The old version. Yeah. Yeah. Because, oh, yes. Okay. Yes, this yes, and what back. happened is, yes. and when people say, well, the MLS, they don't really care about the growth of the game. I would actually argue the counter to it because they absolutely put in place, hey, we're going to make this work and we're going to set up a structure that we're going to save us from ourselves. And they still almost folded. In the beginning of the 2000s, the league was teetering like, oh, what's going to, we're not going to make it. And that's where the crafts and the hunts and the Anschutz, all those people said, no, here, we got it. And literally they just said, all right, what was paid for everybody? Right. Remember Anschutz and they own half the league at one point. Mm -hmm. And like, we're just, we're just going to make it work. Now we've gotten to this place here. Do, would it be awesome to come and see the gloves come off? It would. And my argument is though, what is going to happen to the Columbus crews if there is not a leveling of the player field, playing field to compete with the LAFCs and the Galaxy? Because you can't. Columbus, not as cool as LA. And I love Columbus. <laughs> Columbus is great. FC Cincinnati, not as, it's just, so the attraction's different, yeah. right? Um, pockets are deeper. You know, LAFC's ownership group is like a who's who. Magic Johnson, um, Nomar, Mia, Will oh, Ferrell. Ferrell. I, you know, but I mean, Will Ferrell, who's awesome and he's a clown, but I'll make a mistake. He no dummy with his money. He yeah. has a lot of it. You know, Sounders the same way. You know, they have Russell you know, Wilson. Russell Wilson, Why, Drew yeah. Carey. Yeah. Drew Carey made a lot of money. Yeah. You know, um, you know, interestingly enough, again, Liverpool, who's the best team in the world. That is an American ownership group, you know, LeBron James, you know, the Henrys, like all of that. So you have to, so when the MLS is structured to put that in to the guardrails, that is going to assure, And but on the women's side, we have to get more. Now, I think we've had a massive step in the last couple of days of what the WNBA did. That is fantastic. And we're talking, now it's not even close to where it should be, but fantastic for the league to step up and say, okay, this isn't good enough. We've got to pay more. We've got to do this. We got to do that because it's criminal in this country where um, we have, you know, the opportunities are not the same. Now, what's also great then is who's funding this? The WNBA owners, for the most part, are who? The NBA owners. So yeah. good for the NBA owners. Say, we got a pretty big pie here. You know what? We're going to get this back. At the same time with all of this is whether it's a small market team, whatever it is, money's going to come into part of it. How are we going to fund that? You can only charge us. So like, at what point would the pain of going to a Nashville City game is you are blue through and through. You've been there since day one. Okay. Right now, what would the pain point? If, I, if they came in and said, hey, it's going to be $80 a game, would you go? Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there is a pain threshold. Right. So you can only squeeze so much blood from that turnip. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to find other turnips to do from. And that's one of the things that I mean, our team does a really good job with. When you look across the board, it's going to be hard. So when you talked about the you know, metropolitan areas and you talk about that, there's only so much discretionary income. And at the end of the day, this is entertainment. Yeah. There has to be a willingness and the ability to put money into that. Right. And that's where you have these clubs. Burnley 
Is Burnley in a metropolitan area where to compete with the rest of Premier League? If I'm not mistaken, Burnley has the exact same population as the Ash- Asheville metro area does. It does. Yeah. What does Burnley have though that we don't have? They have a. They have a. They are in a league. That is billions of dollars worth of TV rights. Mm-hmm. Also, too, what do they have? They have an owner that's decided, you know what? This neighborhood club is really important to me. But he's not from the neighborhood. So that's the thing. When we, we talk about these regional things, are we going to be okay as Americans and especially as independent as we naturally are? We do not like to be told what to do. We do not like structure. But... That's the very thing that probably to grow this game that you need. Are we going to be okay with if in, I don't know, Little Rock, Arkansas, someone other than Sam Walton, since he's the, you know, his family, the Waltons are the richest people in Arkansas, because Walmart, but we're going to be okay if somebody comes in from Ireland. The head of Guinness is like, you know what? I'm going to start a soccer team in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm going to fund it. Are we okay with that? Well, I guess a good test case would be the Seattle Reign in the NWSL who were just bought by Marseille. Right. Um, and that Barcelona's been trying to put a team in the NWSL for a while, and they've mm-hmm. been kind of fighting that. But I think that has more to do with Barcelona wanting to be able to bring in their independent sponsorships with them as opposed to having to deal with the kind of group think that goes on. But you bring up a really good point because if you look, I I don't tend to do research for podcasts, but the one thing I did want to completely make sure of because I knew this was going to come up was U.S. owners in other leagues. And the two stats that I came across that just I made my jaw hit the ground was that out of the top 100 clubs money-wise in the, in the world, um, U.S. ownership groups own 10% of them, and U.S. ownership groups own 25 out of the top 30. Correct. So why isn't that money staying within America? Is it, is it just a simple, am I being naive, and is it just a simple, there's more money to be made elsewhere? Or is it deeper than that? Is it I, a couple of things? One, I think you would find a lot of those um, people probably are invested in the game in this country as to what level. The hard part is, is I have yet to meet any good businessman or businesswoman that does anything without one of three goals. Is this going to make the world better in an area where I am really passionate about? i.e. charity, what, right? Is this going to make me money? Or is this something that's going to lessen my um, liability side of my balance sheet, i.e. tax haven? Mm-hmm. Regard, those are three, th- am I going to make the world better? Because when you come to discretionary income, right? Whether you have discretionary income, how do you spend your discretionary income? Feeding your family, mm-hmm. putting a house over their head, giving to charity, or doing a family activity that's going to enrich the lives of the people, the participants therein. Yeah. That's the same thing we're just talking about, but on a yeah. corporate level. So I think that probably the American part is also too. You've got a twelve billion dollar EPL television deal. There's real money to be made there, mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing. It's it's become a global game. How do you do that? Get better players. How do you get better players? Pay them more money. And, and again, that's, and you can argue, you know, I think that if UEFA ranks it, they probably, Spain is probably near the tops, obviously, because 
until very recently, they had the two best players ever, maybe ever to play this game, played in their league at the yeah. same time. Now they still have one. They probably maybe the one A, one B, depending on how you argue this, best player ever to play. Mm-hmm. Um, also, too, how and when we look at Spain, does Spain have it going on correctly? Man, I don't think so. How many times do we hear the best players in Spain are foreign players, and how many times they're basically oh they're going to jail for years because of tax evasion, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they have to write somebody a big check, and then it's okay. So in reality. I would argue that Spain is basically extorting these guys that come they come in and make a lot of money, right? So when you bring your own sponsor, Barcelona's brand, great. Um, one of the things we have to be very cognizant of, though, and very much, and this is by no means an indictment, but there's a huge problem in this country. If you came here and at certain points, there are a lot of foreign influences that made our game wonderful. And, that's, and it's really helped us. In our country. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that came here with an accent. Oh, I know soccer. And we just said, okay. That would be the same as me going Matt, to a... Matt fo- Driver up in Philadelphia already is making Nisa kind of a joke for doing the exact same thing right. after he ruined the indoor league in the North. That'd be like me going years. to England and saying, I'm from America and I played um, freshman and JV basketball in high school, <laughs> so I, I can teach your kids how to play basketball. Yeah. What? what you, huh? But there, or say I played high school football. I'm going to go help you become football players. Yeah. Uh, that's asinine. In no way, shape, or form am I anywhere near qualified to run a touch football league, much less teach people how to play football correctly. Right? But because of where I'm from, oh, you must be part of that. Yeah. We suffered from that in this country. We've started to take some of that identity back, you know, and I, and I, again, I hear that everyone, and especially with a women's world cup and, and no disrespect to the rest of the world, no one was anywhere close to this team. And I would, and, and I think it's awesome that we, you know, before the rosters came out for our women's world cup game. So we have people debating who should be yeah. a, a selection. That's fantastic. I love the fact that we're having selection like that. I'll be honest with you. I looked at Jill Ellis's team sheet. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't see it. And then I'm like, all right, never mind, Jill. That's great. <laughs> much smarter and much better than I am. I'm like, and that's awesome. What a cool little debate. But when what we need to be very cognizant of, why is Barcelona coming here? Are they coming here for the good of the game? Don't know. They're coming here to make money. Do they, and, and that's one of the things. Do we need the foreign capital? We need the investment? For sure we do. But at what cost? You know, and that's that's the hard part for me is that what what do we really want out of this? Do we really want to win World Cups? Ultimately, yeah. That's if you ask the Federation, what's their ultimate goal? To promote the game, and I understand what their mission statement says. What pays those bills? Yeah. Two events. They happen every four years, right? They've got and they've got a nice little break in between it. You know, we've got one that just happened, and then we've got one that's happening um, here pretty shortly. You know, in two years, and that's you know the World Cups, and that is really what this is is all about. And so now, all right, so we want to win World Cups on the men's side. The ultimate goal is to win a World Cup. Yes. What's U.S. soccer? What do they want? They want the national team to get to a World Cup. Why? Because it pays for everything. We want the women to get 
to work up. Why? Because it pays for everything. You know, the fact that we're having this debate about whether our women's national team players should be paid the same as the men is absolutely asinine. It's, it's, I don't really care what your argument is. They absolutely should be paid more. And what it is, is like, hey, you know what? If you're a U.S. national team player, you win the World Cup, you get this bonus. I don't care what your gender is. And you know what? The fact that the women are going to win it all the time, great. Pay them. They're winning. And if the fact that men get there, pay them. They're winning. It doesn't, it, the fact that, you know, and I just think there's such bravery on our, you know, it's it's been awesome, you know, but how much stick did Megan Rapino talk for speaking sense? And it's like, it's like the ultimate boss move. Like, I seriously, like, she's pretty much my hero. She pretty much called, put everyone on notice, called everyone out, and then basically said, I'm going to drop the mic and win the golden ball. I'm going to lead my team to a title. Yeah. Lead is maybe a strong word. I'm going to play a pivotal role in them getting to a title. And I'm going to be voted the golden ball because... I produced when it mattered. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Pay her. Yes. Right. So. So, World Cup. What is is, what has to come first? Do the players in this country have to get better, or do the coaches? I saw a tweet. Oh, that's a. Oh man, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet recently because for years and years I've just assumed it was the players. And, and I know one kind of begets the other, but right. I, I fell victim to this, the, the, what I see now is the jovial statement that if only our best athletes played soccer. And, and yeah. I wasn't really educated on it, but I saw a stat the other day about coaching that knocked me on my ass. And it basically was something along the lines of in Iceland, they have 800 plus a and B UEFA coaches. Correct. And in Maine, the state of Maine, mm-hmm. which has a bigger population than the country of Iceland, mm-hmm. they have less than 20. And this right. sent me down a rabbit hole of what it takes to get your license and who has to pay for it. And right. I know recently, um, you or I guess he was with UNCA, but now he's with Asheville City and has been for a while. But Johnny was off kind of working on his mm-hmm. licenses and his badges. And mm-hmm. you'll occasionally hear these words tossed, to- tossed back and forth, badges, licenses. But uh, then I pulled up the Wikipedia page on the U.S. coaches. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize Vacant was so busy because Vacant is currently coaching, I think, our U10s, our U12s, our U15s. They just filled our U23s. Um, U-20s just, or U-17s got filled up. Mm-hmm. It, is it really a coaching before players situation? If you put aside pay to play and right. everything that's causing the difficulties and high barriers of entries for players to get in, what about the coaches? All right. It's probably threefold. One, U.S. soccer. I'm not smart enough to understand why they did this, but the requirement of the coaches to live in Chicago, (laughs) that makes no sense to me. Um, Now, this is what I would say. I understand the premise and I've heard the arguments Ernie Stewart makes and I, I, I get it. What I would say is if in fact you were at a training center, whether it's Kansas City, where it used to be out in LA and Kansas City is kind of where all the fields are. Like it, now, if that was the case where like at England with St. George's Park where you're going to bring them all in and that's where you want them to be housed, I get that. But you can't even train in Chicago. There's no facility. And the fact that U.S. Soccer House ain't that big. <laughs> so it's like, 
I don't understand what the premise is. I, and I, I don't really understand that. I also think, especially in our country, um, that's, and those guys and gals aren't making a ton of money. You know, Matt Potter just got named um, the U23 women's coach. Mm -hmm. um, and and co he's a fantastic coach. And he's brilliant. And did a great job at Washington State. Did a great job at Oklahoma. You know, that had run its course. So he, I think that's a great hire. Um, you know, but I also think that you have um, some of these other... When you look at Mark Carr, who just left Joel Ellis' staff, to do what? Take a college job. Um, you just saw her other assistant left her staff to do what? Take the University of Oregon job. I, I'm not saying they should be college coaches, but I think that, you know, this is America. And, you know, we can, you know, with technology, you can get people together. And if you say, hey, listen, I hear you if you want to live in Asheville, North Carolina, but you're going to have to be in Chicago. Um, you have to be in Chicago 12 days out of the month. Okay, if you're okay with that, that's great. Uh, if it sounds too much on your family, then you're probably going to move closer to Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, and at what point is... Naperville too far, but you know, so I think that's part of the part of the issue. Now we talk about the badges you know, again. I can say this: I'm very fortunate. I have my US, you know, USFA. Um, I've had it since 2003. The license structure is completely changed. The quality of the education has completely changed. And what I would like in this for the better. Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And you know, I renewed my A um, in seven, eleven, and fifteen. Um, and it was, and it was a great, great, and great, and really cool things that I, I learned from it. So the, the, our knowledge base has increased, and that's like to say the guy, you know, the economics teacher that got their doctorate in economics in 1978. The economics teacher that gets his doctorate, her doctorate now, I would argue that. She's got a better chance of being relevant and oh, she's got all that corporate knowledge and all that. So we have to be okay with two plus two is always going to equal four. But as we've seen, the and we're just in the field of mathematics alone, just to kind of go down a rabbit hole, the ability to get to two plus two plus four is much simpler and maybe much more complex now than it used to be because the world has changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that for a long time, U.S. soccer is catching up to it and it is now you know you've got the pro a the probe in the like you've that's really important and then you've got the academy directors license and the education so i for me the coaching education is absolutely improving now the next part is the cost who needs to pay for that the clubs or the individual um but i kind of liken it the same way and i'm not trying to get into a debate of whether college should be free or not everybody can get a college degree Everybody can. Now, you can go and get a degree. Now, any town, state, Harvard. Can you get a degree in economics and learn the information at any town, state? Of course you can. Harvard. And I'm not, and I'm not even going to get into the whole socioeconomic part of it, but Harvard's there for a reason. You know, and it's, it's kind of like, it, it's okay. It, I view college education as cars. Um, I'm not suggesting that anyone buy a Lamborghini Countach. I'm not suggesting that that's relevant. You can buy a Honda Accord. You can buy a BMW 7 Series. Which one's a more higher performance car? BMW. 
which one's safer? BMW. Which one is going to provide more creature, a more comfortable experience? The BMW. Which one is way, way, way more expensive? BMW. <laughs> Not for everybody. Yeah. Honda Accord will get you where you want to go. If you had the ability to choose either one, and again, maybe we get back into the hippies and again, like <laughs> counterculture. Which one would you choose? And maybe it's not BMW. Maybe it's Volvo. Yeah. Which one would you choose? You choose Volvo every time. Better gas mileage, safer, better ride. Way more expensive. If you have the ability to get yourself into that, you would choose that because it's better for everyone involved. Right? That being said, not every club can pay for these people. But if these coaches are serious about their craft, then they should be putting their own point into it just because i'm a coach you should pay for my licensing what are we talking about this is america this is you put the work in and you, you do that now at the same level when you get to a certain point yeah the clubs should pay for it and that and they should help underwrite that and, they, and that's absolutely something i think you see happen on a regular basis um so the coaches for sure also too, pay to play model that's a huge 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 impediment because people are paying for a service and they expect that service. Um, and I don't even know that they're wrong to expect it. Now, I can only say this, and this is probably going to upset every director of every club I've ever worked for, <laughs> is that but when I, when I took over a club team, I say, listen, you guys are all paying a ton of money. So this is what I'm going to tell you. And we said this at every parent teacher, you know, or parent teacher, kids and parents in a meeting, same thing. I say, listen. Guys, your parents are paying a ton of money. Be at training, be on time. Okay? Ladies, the club, if you're the club is underwriting you because you're a really good player, then you owe it to be at every training, be on time, all the things. All of you, all that that money that you're putting into it is going to guarantee you what? The opportunity to succeed. Yeah. Great. You can say those words a thousand and a thousand and a thousand times. How much is it really going to resonate? You know, the the young kid, he or she go and, the, and she's like, mom, dad, I'm interested in uh, piano. And parents say, well, Johnny, well, Jill, that's great. I'm going to give you years upon years upon years of piano training. And then with the expectation that not only are you going to be getting to Juilliard, but you're going to attend Juilliard, and then you're going to be conducting the New York City Philharmonic. What are we talking about? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? If I use that, both parents are like, absolutely not. They're going to have to be talented. But when we talk about club soccer, well, they're going to get a college scholarship. Right? That would be, that's insane. You can't guarantee that. Like, if I play for this coach, am I going to get a college scholarship? No. Are you maybe going to be more prepared to compete for an opportunity to play in college? Yes, you may. But the same thing in college. You, kids come to college, the full ride scholarship doesn't exist. So the, are the kids paying to play? For sure. At some, But what would we do if some parent was like, well, my kid's not playing? So? <laughs> right so like but honestly that wouldn't fly in the masses yeah. if you heard of some you know Jill and Johnny their parents are upset because they're not playing 
in whatever college sport they're playing, they go, they got to be better. They're amongst the elite of the elite. At some level, we've done that. Why is that? Well, then I guess now we get into our socio, you know, you know, I guess, and whether you call it psychosocio, everyone gets a trophy. Everyone gets a trophy. And what I would argue with you, and I'm going to tie this back, you're going to like this, <laughs> but if everyone gets a trophy, isn't that what we're really talking about when we talk about pro relegation just from the, because we want it to be like England. We want to have the passion of the, um, you know, the championship playoff. Like we've, and that's what's happened in the last 15 years is the game is grown in the access to the game. You have people and people play FIFA and they see how their team like, this would be amazing if we could do this. Great. But then not everybody gets a trophy. At some point you're better. And you know, why are you better? Because you're better funded. Well, why are you better funded? Because at some point somebody put a real investment into it. Right. And yeah, you know, and you see it in every sport. And if you take maybe the Las Vegas Knights out of the equation, you know, Bob Bradley, Chicago Fire out of the equation. Um, usually expansion teams do what? Massive crowds in every sport, whatever. Massive crowds the first couple of weeks. Then reality sets in. Then the beatings commence. Then the coach gets fired. Then the new coach comes in. Everybody relaxes and says, we're on a two to three year plan for development. <laughs> and then two to three years later, you've got a viable franchise. Yeah. And the team, regardless of the gender, regardless of the sport, starts to perform at the level. So, but when we talk about everyone gets a trophy, there's no grind. There's no patience. There's no resilience. Because it's like, no matter what, you're going to be successful. No, that's not the case, you know. So does pro promotion relegation work? I don't know. What really works in this country, and this is, a, and I would say the way you really have to solve it, is when um, Asheville City sends Manny Perez to Celtic. That should have, that money should have come back down Asheville City, right? But it's not because he was a college kid, right? And so... Certainly Celtic's not going to pay NC State for that. Are they going to pay NCFC for that? No, they, but that's where that should have trickled down. And, and that's the part, too. Then you'll start to see, you know, these kids start to progress. But at the end of the day, it's entertainment and somebody's going to have to fund this. Right? And I think the one area of that that I would kick back is that whereas I agree that on the field, there should not be participation trophies. What we're finding in the the ownership of these leagues, and, and not just MLS, I, I mean, kind of across with revenue sharings, it's almost like socialized sporting competitions mm -hmm. where all the owners do get a participation trophy. And what that does is that's what you're buying into. And that's what I mean by 60 cents on the dollar is right. I'm viewing this as a long-term investment. I'm going to plop down $325 million for this franchise fee. I get a territory right that nobody can impede. So as long as I've, I've vetted North Carolina, and you can even hear some like kind of ignorant things when you hear like Don Garber talking about, oh, North Carolina's ripe for soccer. Look at how well particularly Raleigh does. I can guarantee you that you've really upset some hardcore soccer fans in Raleigh by kind of circumventing their bid, whether they deserved it or not. But they're Oh, not, for sure. I think they would be yeah. incredibly hard done by. They're I, not yeah, coming. Yeah, I feel for them. They're not coming to Charlotte MLS. 
in 15, 20 years, maybe their children will. I, I'm not right, that right. naive. But this 325, the city's going to give them 110, and that's a different issue. I've got a podcast in the can with a um, citizen down in Charlotte that has some thoughts just about the way that it's right. going to affect the actual city. Less kind of sporting-wise and more like right. Eastland Mall and, and kind of different things like that. But I, I agree that on the pitch, there should not be participation trophies, but it's almost like at a league level, you get to invest in a closed league and get a participation payment each year. Well, the same thing happens in England, though. That's that's why you have the balloon payments when you go down. Also, too, the Premier League's TV deal pays down all yes. the way. Yes. They, they pay. Absolutely. So Champion, the pre- teams that never play in the Premier League. Get money from the Premier League TV yes. deals. Like, they Absolutely. all do. So, I hear you. And... And I understand exactly what you're saying. And also, too, we haven't even gotten into the discussion of some yet. Sorry, <laughs> we haven't even gotten into that part. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a business, right? And that is, this is, you know, part of that that bit. Now, I think that what you would do is, and how do you fix that? I don't know. Do I understand the concern with that? For sure. Now, one of the things that if you if you did promotion relegation, you would say, okay, you know, you're putting all this money in and now we're going to do this. So and now you, you you're putting your stake in the game. If you finish higher, you get more. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be part of it. What I would say is this. I do think promotion relegation in this country will happen. I really do. I do, however, think that what it's going to be, and that this is not my idea. Wall Street Journal published this as one of their ideas, um, is I think that you're probably going to see the MLS cap out around 40 teams. I think you're going to see an MLS 1 and an MLS 2. And I think that probably what you're going to do is you're probably going to see an exchange of three teams and three teams will go up and three teams will come down. And then you'll say, well, what about the teams at the bottom of League 2? The rub is this. MLS 2. MLS 2. Yeah. The, the rub is this. So what about those teams? I'm going to say, okay, hold on. There are how many teams, and in the USL, I would argue that, remember, you of all these USL 2, USL Championship, you still have 10 of those teams that are flat out twos. That are flat out run by oh, the MLS. Oh, that's a whole team. other issue. Yeah, right. and now League One's kind of being infiltrated by them. And well, League, they're, they're talking about the championship forcing down the twos into League One. And that's and, and I'm okay with that. And I think that probably the MLS teams are going to be okay with that too because the what they're starting to use their twos for is the kids. Yeah. And we should have – and. and that should be no problem. And in reality, if, if you, that would probably be great for the USL too, because they're like, well, this has basically become teams like Tucson and the rest of the MLS kids. Well, this is great. Not dissimilar to Major League Baseball. Yeah. Right? Where you can go and see, oh, I saw that guy at Ashley. pitched here twice, and now he's in the Major Leagues. Well, well there's also – I mean, there's precedent for this other places. Like, of course, in England, you've got your, like, entire reserve squad, like your U23 right. division. It's not competing against the the. Well, and then in Spain, you've got Barcelona B that's playing that's in a league. Exactly. But they don't participate in the King's Cup. Yes. They, they can't win the league. No. And if Barcelona, God forbid, ever was relegated, they would get relegated too so right. that you're never playing against them. Correct. So, yeah. it, but those are few and far, but not everybody else has yeah. that kind of bit. But I think that when you look at that, I, that promotion relegation could happen. 
would it be a closed system? For sure. Yeah. The problem is, though, is that, and one of the things that financial fair play, they didn't want teams to fold. And you see this just with the NPSL alone. The weather changes, well, we're going to fold up the team. They, they, somebody did a, Nipoon did a um, study that put it all into a spreadsheet and mm-hmm. figured out that the average length of an NPSL team was something like three years. And then that includes the Chattanoogas that lasted 10 years, right. all the way down to the one-year, two-year Greenville. And Chattanooga set the gold standard in the NPSL. Yeah. And I think probably we could really argue, and you know, and the people here that, you know, that have listened to the podcast are certainly very familiar with how great those Chattanooga teams were. Chattanooga teams were pros. You have guys that were playing you know, in the J-League, playing in the NPSL. Mm-hmm. Where's Chattanooga going to go? They're not going USL League 2. You know, and that's where you get into these. Um, well, now the comp would be League One because they have gone pro, right? But gonna... think of the Red Wolves. It's not going to happen. Like, it's are they going to get folded in? I, don't, I mean, what is that? What does all all of that mean? And that's where the hard part is. Is that? And I've heard this argument all the time. And people, you know, USU soccer. Back, and we talked about if USU soccer really wants what's best for the game, then everybody gets on the same page. Give up some of that American freedom and our ability not to be told what to do because right or wrong, who runs the game on the planet? FIFA. Mm-hmm. Who does FIFA recognize? The United States Soccer Federation. Okay. What are we talking about? Let's, and we have enough people. Let's get on board and let's affect change. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. Are we going to have to give up some of the wild, wild west things that we like? Absolutely. To create what? Structure. From structure, from foundation, is that every great house that's ever been built, whether Frank Lloyd Wright did it, whatever, however creative you want to be, what's the core thing that they always have? A foundation. At some point, there has to be a place where the structure meets the bedrock. We're going to build on this. Um, And there's not really a whole lot of, you know, and again, I'm not an architecture guy, but I it's pretty much kind of the same industry standards to build things on. Foundations are pretty standard, right? Build them to code. You can build whatever you want on there. I would say if you really want to do this, we all need to come together. We all need to sit down. And I don't think anyone's diametrically opposed to that until it gets to that one stupid thing that makes our country great. Free market capitalist society. Money. So that's the part that's the part you have to solve is that are you willing to give up money to make the game better? Are you willing to give up to control to be better? Would you be willing as a soccer fan or supporter section to say, listen, we love the fact that supporters groups and we've seen this in the MLS. We want you to have free reign. But hey, I hear you that this is what you want to chant. We're not going to do that. That's just not part of what we're doing. And you're starting to see and you're starting to see UEFA and FIFA take a hard line. Oh, you really want to see chanting these homophobic things? Cool. You do that. I'm going to ban your team from the World Cup. So you, you supporters groups have at it. Yell what you want to yell. And you're going to find yourself like, wow, I don't have anyone to yell for. Yeah. Is that big brother? Is that too harsh? I would argue no. You know what I mean? I don't, and, and anyone that's ever been to, and you know, I've, I've been to um, an MX game. And, you know, and it's like, that's not a safe environment for anybody that's just asking for you know and and how often do we forget like we had the you know in the mid 80s where we have these these things and 
firms and fights and riots and like what are we talking about like let's so and i know we had a huge part i think it was portland and seattle and you know a lot of the people were given a lot of pushback to the supporters groups and i would argue to the supporters groups like hey guys what are we doing like at what point like at some point if if any of this takes precedent over what's happening on the field then don't talk to me that you're truly a fan of the game because ultimately it's what's happening on the field, whether it be at U8 all the way to the full professional level. You don't go to a soccer game, um, a football match to go buy beers and yell things at people. At some point you went to watch to a game, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, in the NPSL, I think the South Slope Blues are hilarious. <laughs> and I think that, um, but I have yet to be at a game and hear something that the South Slope Blues have said where I'm like, mm, that's a little offsides. Where I go, I can go to a college basketball game and you hear these kids yelling. I'm like, what, what, what are we talking about? You know, and these are the same kids that are yelling these things that when their kids play sports, they'd be mortified if they heard that. Yeah. Now, you know, and maybe I'm putting on my old fogey hat, right? I'm like, oh, I'm become a decrepit old man. Hey, you kids get off my lawn. But that's what we've got to get better than that. And that's. So I think that, you know, obviously we've touched on probably 75,000 topics today, <laughs> but I, I think that it, it's a fascinating thing. And I would imagine I'd be fascinated to hear what your listeners have to say on these topics. And, I, and I'll be the first to say, I don't have any of the answers, What? but I've been around it enough to see, like, if I look at the growth of the game in just my life alone, you know, where when I started watching you know, soccer in 1982. Well, and even in the late 80s, the only time you, you really, you, it was on PBS, German Soccer Hour. Like that was it. And then you started to see a little bit of the 86 World Cup was on ABC. And then 1990 TNT, TBS, put them all on. And then obviously we had the World Cup in 94, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then it's just continued to grow into now. I can watch every league mm -hmm. between ESPN Plus and my DirecTV. Not not a paid endorser. That's not. Sure. <laughs> but you know, I can watch all of it, right? And that's a, that's amazing. But also, too, you could argue that if it's not for um, the '91 World Cup women's team, mm -hmm. if it's not for them, like I would argue to say that the '91 women's World Cup team, Mia Hams, Acres that whole group, right? If it's not for them and it's not for Paul Caligiuri in Trinidad and Tobago in 1989, having a go from 40 yards, you and I are not sitting here having this discussion on a podcast about soccer. That being said, we're talking about 1989 to 2019. I think my math is right, but we're talking about 30 years. So the growth of this thing in 30 years is, is pretty good. But as supporters, we're going to have to be patient with it, you know, and we're going to have to, I don't know that we're going to see it in Tim and your and I's lifetime. Will our kids 30 years from now be looking at maybe a completely different landscape of American football? For sure. And I think, our, and again, not to put in, but I think that you will look back and you will look at people like, um, the Hunt family, um, the Anschutzes, the Megan Rapinos, and 
you will and that the you know and I you know people like the Taylor Twelmans and the Alexi Lawlesses and I understand people get lose their minds, but full credit to especially Alexi Lawless who fame and fortune in a large part from U.S. soccer right yeah. he's the loudest critic good for him good for him he's certainly he is absolutely biting the hand that fed him for sure he is but good for him to do that so i think that in 30 years we'll be standing on it what do we do in the meantime pay money to go watch soccer games i buy when you see when you go to your a football match and they advertise a product patronize that product yes that's how this all works yeah. it right or wrong and and again and that's you know that you know again shameless plug you know we have fun depot who from what i understand is um the academy sponsor. the academy sponsor right mm-hmm. okay well if you're looking to go play video games and ride go-karts in, in Asheville and you care about soccer go do that at fun depot yeah. like that that's a good thing because they're they are advertising because they're trying to read let them know why you can't exactly yeah. that that's awesome you know, and there's, and I, I don't want to get it, but you go to Memorial Stadium for a women's game, you go to Memorial Stadium for a men's game, and you see all these sponsorships there. These are all products in some way, whether it be, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm not even going to start naming companies because I'm invariably I'll leave someone out, but then tell them like, hey, you know what? I saw you were involved with this. This is why I want to do that. Yeah. Great. I, I think the two or three biggest things that, we're, we're working towards is especially in the lower leagues. I mean, MLS in 2010, I think kind of looks like MLS in 2020. I, I, I think th- there wasn't a dramatic shift, but lower league soccer yeah. in 2010 looks nothing like in 2020. So progress, whether it, it doesn't matter what your opinion is, progress was made. Right. It was for sure. I yeah. agree. Totally. And the, the thing that nobody can change right now is, is you can't manufacture more land and you can't manufacture more time. No. And with the way that it seems like TV is going, the the most valuable thing that exists right now are live TV rights. And mm-hmm. it's why, you know, um, d- different clubs have just been compl- – have had – their legs taken. I'm a big Arsenal fan, and I think Arsene Wenger, you, you know, the the um, you, you get the option of eating dinner with three people, dead or alive. Arsene Wenger's at that table with me. I don't know where right. the other two people All are. Right, fair enough. Phil- philosophical genius, not just about the sports, but he was caught with his pants down because he never foresaw TV rights becoming what they were. He, right. he had this whole philosophy of cash on hand and and making sure that we had a bankroll and eventually after we paid off the Emirates, we were going to run the league, you know, because we had all this. And then TV rights, because you, live TV, you, you can't TiVo it. You have to live it in the moment. It's worth its weight in gold. And it's the one thing that sports can provide that nothing else can provide in a country that continues to go on to this streaming. My my daughter doesn't even watch TV anymore. She just binge watches TV shows over right. the course of like two or three weeks. Right. You can't do that with sports. And yeah. so it's you, you mentioned some. That's where some has to come in as they continue to 
they, they don't even negotiate the rights right now. They literally just put out a bid and accepted one of the first bids that came in. And it's why we're tied with Portugal. And they did the same with the Mexican national team. Mm -hmm. They did the same with our national team. And they did the same with MLS. If they're going to continue to do this, and if USSF, which I don't think is an unsavable, I, I I do think they can figure it out. I don't think they currently have the leadership to do it because I think it's a little bit of a, I'm hesitant to call it an old, old boys club, but it's, it's bordering on that. Well, it's an elected official, which, which that's insane. Yes. That's insane. Like that is, you, you have to have a board that answers to it. Yeah. But, and again, you look at David Stern, you know, rest his soul. He globalized the NBA. Yes. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And people gave him stick about it. Mm -hmm. Right? And now it is a global brand. Yes. It is, I mean, literally. LeBron yeah. is famous everywhere. Michael, famous everywhere. Mm -hmm. Kobe, famous everywhere. Um, Luka Doncic, he's famous everywhere. Right? The Premier, and who did he borrow that from? Paid attention to what the EPL did. Mm -hmm. And the EPL is, is it the best league in the world? I would say no. Technically, probably not. Is it the best marketed event ever? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. They have that thing so dialed in. Also, too, and this is where you look at U.S. soccer and you look at the FA. Now, they do have the benefit of being the most popular sport in their country. But also, too, when people act the fool, <laughs> the FA is quick, decisive, sharp, mm -hmm. and it hurts. And you don't do it again. Yeah. Right? You in our country, we applaud acting the fool. Yeah. We think it's great. OBJ. I don't know what the assault thing did. I don't know if he was throwing around money in um, the locker room. I, I think he probably was. I hope he wasn't. If he'd been an FA player, if he was a professional soccer player playing in England, that would have been like that. You will not do that again. This is going to hurt. You are suspended. You are going to pay all the things. That, you know, England does a lot of things right. It's kind of like when you drink and drive in England. That hurts for a long time. Yeah. In our country... Get the it's, right lawyer. Uh, as long as you haven't hurt anybody, you're fine. I, I think the kids currently call it the cancel culture. Um, and I, I think that's just a ridiculous way to view it. I think it's called the consequence culture. Absolutely. And I think if we had more consequences, I think people would start to make better decisions. Oh, for sure. Like, I I mean, again, I and having worked a lifetime in collegiate sports, I find it criminal to see some of the people that still get to coach sports yeah. after, especially at the NCAA level, after they've repeatedly demonstrated that they have no interest in the development of the student athlete. Yeah. And now do they have a lot, does the NCAA shoulder a lot of that responsibility? For sure they do. Do the schools shoulder a lot of the responsibility for that? For sure. You know, but. I'm yep. pretty sure while we're recording, Rick Patino just got another job. So. Did he really? No, I'm joking. Oh my God, no, <laughs> See, you believe oh, that. God, No, I did. That's the sad thing. I was like, yeah, somebody will hire him. Like at, um, some, at, some point, <laughs> at some point, when is enough enough? Yes, absolutely. So one last thing to finish on. Um, MLS Charlotte, how do you think it's going to go? I think it'll go the same way. It, I hope I'm wrong. 
And they've yet to hire a coach, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're so, 14 uh, months yeah. off, which again, there's a whole nother issue I, with them. I think that, um, you know, and I do think it's a little problematic. I think it's a little bit of a, you know, I, I think the league should probably just come out and say something to effect of kind of like, you know, it's kind of like when LA, they changed the DP rules for the galaxy. Every time the galaxy's like, Hey, we're going to go do this. <laughs> and the league says, that's going to be great. We're going to change the rules. <laughs> just go ahead and say, Hey, listen, let's call it is what it is. Charlotte was too good an opportunity to pass up with willing participants in a willing met- metropolitan area. Guess what? You know what? Money talks, they have the infrastructure, they have a plan, they're ready to do that. Yes, they're ready to step to the big league. I understand all you other cities have been waiting patiently in the queue. We still love you. They're better than you. You know, you got a degree from any town. They have a degree from Oxford. You're smarter. They're smarter than you are. It's okay. Model it and we move forward. It's amazing what straight talk, especially in sports. If you told people that, people would be upset. Yeah. Yes. They would be they would be bitter and they would say, okay. You know, it's kind of like your kid plays quarterback and I want to go to Alabama. Nick Saban says, son, you're not good enough. (laughs) You're not good enough. Yeah. Or I want to go play quarterback at Clemson. And Dabo Sweeney says, you know, I got Trevor Lawrence. We're good. You in your best interest, it's better for you to wait. You know, yeah, and and probably I think it'll be great. I think that um, it'll be fascinating to see how they go the DP route. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see if you see some of um, North Carolina's um, there, you know, there are some players of ability from, does that come in? I would imagine it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think that probably um, if they're smart and I would imagine LAFC is a really good model, go hire the right coach, go and make the right signing. But I mean, and again, I, I think Greg Berhalter would do a great job. I will, to my dying day, I'm not going to tell you that I love the way Bob Bradley's teams at the national team level played. I don't know that they always played. But I would argue that if you told me that Bob Bradley still wasn't the right choice, I would say, well, look what he did at Chicago. He got, now he had three great players. Like Kubik and those guys, they're fantastic. Storage Cup, that's great. Those are great players, right? Um, but he won the league in 98 with Chicago, won the league. And then in LAFC, you know, that we're going into their third year of existence and they've been a bounce or two away from arguably, you know, everybody thought we were going to get the Bradley Bowl this year. And that was going to be wonderful theater, right? To watch, uh, you know, father and son kind of lock horns. But if they model that, go be smart about it, go get the right players, um, you're going to have to get some retreads. You're going to have to get some cast-offs and then go get the right DP. I think it could be a lot of fun. Um, but it's going to be a wonderful spectacle either way. You know, it's, it, it, you know, and you see it with everything. You know, you were at Asheville City's first year, the inaugural team. You take that year one team and they play year three team. Year three team smacks them. And then some. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been close. And with that because of the, that, this, the level player was better, mm-hmm. right? And so you that's the, the progression. And you see that that's exactly what you want. Will they make a storybook run? We'll see. You know, I mean, how long had the Hurricanes been around until the Hurricanes two years ago finally made a run at the NHL, <clears throat> right? 
people had forgotten that there was an NHL team in Carolina. All of a sudden, they made oh Stanley Cup fever. <laughs> like, oh, give it a break, right? What um, what's a what's a benefit that Asheville could see from MLS in Charlotte? Well, I just think a height. I think that probably just the financial part. I mean, it, it's kind of like as you see um, Asheville start to expand, right? And you start to see hotels popping up around you know, the beltway of the 240 that it's going to grow. So I think that probably what you're going to see is that you're going to see very much a financial interest in um, soccer. And as that, as organizations and businesses start to jump onto the soccer business and start to be able to do that. And then I think that, you know, it's just like when you walked at the convenience store you know, do do have the Panthers infiltrated the business here in town for sure? Because you go and buy a Coke, it's got a Panthers head on it. You go to Dick's Sporting Goods here in Nashville, there's Panthers gear. So is that going to become part of this? Absolutely. So I think that probably for me, I see Asheville City as a football club, men and women only benefiting from Charlotte. Charlotte is far enough away where it's not in the backyard. And I wrote, and if Charlotte gets into the NWSL game, that would be fantastic. Is I would argue this in Raleigh, NCFC, and the Courage are they going to benefit from that? As much as those diehard fans are going to yell at you, and the nine one nine MLS people are all up in arms, absolutely. Because, and this is what I would say: not everyone gets a trophy. If Raleigh had had their ducks in a row and had had a bid that was good enough, it would have been them. Certainly they had a head start. But what they still, what do they not have? They don't have a stadium. They don't. Charlotte does. Charlotte does. And Charlotte has a scalable stadium. Charlotte also, too, has had, how many times have you had summer, the some, the, you know, International Champions Cup, those games are well attended. People, and also... Yeah, the right, the right two, the right two teams. It's packed. right two. Yeah, I went to the Arsenal one this summer, and I was shocked at how no one cares. Yeah, <laughs> all you Arsenal fans, I love you, but no one cares. No one has cared since the Invincibles. No one has cared. And for me, honestly, where and, and I, I think Arsene Wenger is a genius. But when I, I think the death knell and the reboot of Arsenal started is when Wenger realized I can't pay Van Persie. He's going to leave. And I'm going to leave to the biggest rival. And it was the very next season that Man United put an 8-2 on them. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, different, right? That's okay. Now, do I think that Raleigh will... talking MLS. (laughs) Do I think that Raleigh will get a team? Yes, I do. I think they will. Are they going to need to build a stadium downtown? Absolutely. Wake Med is a wonderful stadium. Yeah. Um, I've seen the mock-ups. I mean, it, it, it gorgeous could, mock-ups. It could be but, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It, it, could, it, it would be wonderful. But again, also, too, now the infrastructure and anything time you build a stadium and the subsequent land around it, that's real estate speculation. Mm-hmm. You better have a lot of cash and you better be risk adverse, where it means you don't care. You know, you you you, you don't really, and I say risk adverse, but I don't mean like, oh, I'm afraid of risk. I'm like, risk, I don't care. I'm good with it. I'm doing this. I have faith in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That is, as we talk about growing the game in this country and doing stuff like that, you're asking for a lot of people and then not even talking about the cities putting in taxpayer monies and all that. And you're starting to see more and more metropolitan areas have pushed back and say, we don't want to put public funds into this. Yeah. We want to do private. Okay. Private. and do that. 
Mercedes-Benz is a great example of that. That is a phenomenal place to watch a sporting event. Unless I'm mistaken, this Atlanta didn't put a whole lot of money into that, neither did Georgia. Arthur Blank said, I got this. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a cathedral, right? You know, and that and that's... And that's also one of the things too. Like in England, we you know we build these you know the massive new Tottenham Stadium. That was built by Tottenham. It mm-hmm. wasn't built by the government. That was built by Tottenham. That's a lot of money to risk on because you're banking on like I better make Champions League because I'm gonna need the money. Yeah. I'm gonna need the things, and that's why those teams come here. Why is the International Champions Cup here? Because they want a summer in America. Have you ever you've been to a game in the it's, summer at it's, Charlotte? It's, it's awful. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to run around in that? No, it was a hundred and twelve on the pitch or something like. But that. But why are they coming? What'd you pay yeah. for your tickets? Fifty bucks. Yeah. Times eighty thousand. Thirty. <laughs> well, they, you know, but that's. I mean, but you know, yeah. that's the the goal of it, and like that's. It, it's all comes down to the dollars part, and full credit to the American sports fan when, especially the American soccer fan, when the ICC started, those games were packed. Mm-hmm. Now, what are people recognizing them as? This is basically the NFL preseason. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know that I'll go back to one. No, I'll watch it on TV. I'm not going for to watch my favorite player maybe play the second half. Yeah, if. That. Well, Coach, thank you so much. Um, are, are already going to book you maybe to catch back up in... For sure, especially since I, I'm very excited to, uh, you know, I think that this is going to be, and I don't want to be, I, I'm very excited to be a, a complete fan, um, you know, for both the women and the men. And I think that Coach Enos and Coach Giordano are on the right track. And obviously, I think that, you know, the ownership group is fantastic in the city and the South Slope Blues and all the things. But I think that... Um, just to see the continual growth of the club, both what they do on the pitch and what they do off and, you know, right to play and, you know, what they're doing with their academy programs. And that's, that's really cool. And, you know, for someone who's, you know, I've only been in Asheville for five years, but that's pretty inspiring for me is to see what they're doing. So this is, yeah, we'll definitely check back in, but, you know, it'll be fascinating to kind of see, I'd love to have some other ideas, but I think that, I feel very confident that we can solve ProRel here in Asheville. <laughs> they can give us an MLS franchise. Now, everyone in town will have to come to the game. It's just like everyone will just have to go and bring them out of our yes. house. Everyone has to go to every game. But I, I think that it, it, it's important. But I, I think maybe the most important part is the fact that we're having a real discussion. I've always said the only way anything's going to change is to ask ourselves very uncomfortable questions. Yeah, but people are interested in it now. Yeah. Like you look and that's, you know, the when you look and you have real debate over who our national team managers are selecting for their first 11 at the Women's World Cup and Men's World Cup qualifying. And, and for me, as much as I hated to see the men, you know, bottle it and not qualify, but the public outrage and how much traction that story got, not only on ESPN and not only on the Twitters and the Instagrams, but on real news and people that weren't even, aren't even football fans are like, how did we not qualify for the World Cup? We're not, what? That's pretty cool. Yeah. that That's an awesome thing. So that's. Now it's a huge responsibility. We better get it right. We can. You, you're allowed one of those screw ups once. We can't get it. Well, I mean, we we literally just had to get a World Cup to make sure we couldn't bottle it in 2026. So, <laughs> uh, we're probably the fact we're going to cut it. Don't even get me started. That that's a whole other other podcast. Uh, you know, discussing the fact that we're going to play a World Cup in December in the middle of a desert. Absolutely. And the, I, that 
literally the human rights violations that are surrounding the construction of that event are that's awesome but i appreciate it so so much fun to have a conversation with you thanks absolutely thanks coach i guess that's why they call us the blues time on our hands could be time spent with bruce drinking like tourists yelling like drunkards scoring some sunners been listening to the you're smarter than us podcast shoot us an email at you're smarter than us at gmail.com or find us on twitter at y-o-u-r-e underscore smarter